Kyle, good morning everybody, it's good to see you. Um, good news, uh, UCLA did not lose a football game yesterday. Of course we had a bye. Bad news, the Dodgers did not do what we were hoping, did they? Oh my goodness. So. Hey, we are in the midst of this series called Postcards from the Prophets and uh, the idea behind it is as we go back and look at the uh, what was spoken to the people that are in exile in um, Israel and Judah, that it, it connects with where we are today in many respects in terms of where we live in our culture today, living in a what we call a post-Christian world, and, and hopefully we can learn from what they talked about back then and how they lived to how we can live here today. And today we're going to look at the prophet uh, Jeremiah and specifically at one of the prophecies that he gives to the people who are in exile. So um, a little bit about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the prophet who he, uh, there were five different kings of Judah who uh, were ruled while Jeremiah was the, um, was the prophet of the day. The first uh, king he ruled on, or he prophesied under, was a man named Josiah. Uh, Josiah, I think, Greg, we can go to that next one. There we go. King Josiah was from 640 B.C. to 609. Now, here's a really interesting thing about Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Okay, eight years old. He actually is the final king of Judah who actually tries to bring about reform. So as an eight-year-old kid, somehow he probably had enough good people around him that they start making good decisions. And then uh, 18 years into his ruling as a king, um, they find the book of the law. Okay, so seriously, this is how it works out. King Josiah sends his secretary to the temple to meet with the chief priest and says, hey, uh, there's some financial stuff you need to work out. Go over, do it. The secretary goes over, meets with the chief priest. The chief priest, they figure out the financial stuff to pay the guys that are working at the temple. And the chief priest goes, oh, by the way, we found the book of the law. Now, this is what they've been supposed to have been living their lives out of. This is what they are supposed to, teaching them how to live, how to worship God, all that. It has been lost in the temple. Okay, you guys don't understand. How, how does this happen? How do you lose the book of the law? I, I, well, I can understand garages. No, I understand how you lose, like, a, I lose my electric bill, you know, mixed up in all these places. You, you lose stuff from time to time, but this is the book of the law. Okay, this is, what, this is the, what you're supposed to live your life this way, and they don't know where it is. And they haven't had it for years and years, maybe decades. And so it's unbelievable. So Josiah reads it. He's about 26 years old at this time, and he goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. So he brings about all this great reform to the people of Judah. And then around um, 626, Jeremiah is when he's called to be a prophet. He probably was a, a teenager, late teens, early maybe 20s when he's called to be this prophet. Then after Josiah, the king is uh, Jehoaz, um, he becomes king. He only reigns for uh, three months. And you're going to see here in Judah, there is all sorts of just turmoil going on and, and different nations coming in and taking them over and all this sort of stuff. But uh, he rules for just three months. He's not a good king. He does not follow the ways of his uh, father, Josiah. Then um, after him comes um, Elikim, who was another son who had been set up by, he's, he's made king by the Pharaoh of Egypt. 
changed his name to Jehoiakim. He ruled for 11 years. He also was evil in God's sight. Um, and then this is when uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in from Babylon in 605 and for the first time attacks Judah. He takes Jehoiakim back with him to Babylon with many people in exile and, and does that. And then they, another king is set up, uh, Jehoiakim, right, who again rules just for three months until he is kicked out of there. And then Zedekiah ruled for 11 years. He did evil in God's sight. He rebelled against Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar again comes in. And in, six, or in 586 BC, he destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem. There is no more Judah as a nation. And most of the people at that time are now taken into exile and all that. And Jeremiah is the prophet all through this time for 40 years. And here's the thing about Jeremiah. Hardly anybody listened to him. He would prophesy. The kings, the rulers, the leaders of the nation would say, no, 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 you're crazy. We're, we're, we're not listening to you. The people didn't listen to him. He was uh, beaten. He was thrown into prison. He was uh, thrown down into a well. He was um, exiled into Egypt. People didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't believe what he had to say. And what we're going to look at today is a letter that he writes to the people who are in exile in Babylon. Okay, So Jeremiah typically was in Jerusalem his whole time, and he writes a letter to the people that are now in Babylon in exile. And here's what the letter says. It's in Jeremiah 29. If you want to follow along in the Bible, um, here's what it goes. Goes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughter, sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if, if, if it prospers, then you prosper. So the um, first sort of sentence I want you to look at is that where it says, I carried into exile. This, this was the Lord's doing. The Lord is the one who carried his own people into exile. It wasn't as if the Lord was looking down. He goes, wait, what's going on down there? How's this happening? Why is this nation coming against my people? No, this was his plan. This was all part of what he sensed and knew needed to happen. And he says, I carried my own people into exile. And I often wonder, what is that like for God? What is that like to see and to be a part of and actually to carry your own people into exile, away from the promised land into exile? And I was, I was reading through Jeremiah this week to kind of get a, a sense of this and and in uh, Jeremiah 12, 12, 7, the Lord says this, I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. I mean, can you imagine the anguish that God has that he causes, he creates his, for his own people to be conquered and to taken into exile, that, that the nation is totally defeated 
says, I, have, I, I will give the one I love into the hands of their enemies. And just the pain that God must have experienced when, when that happened. When he realized, I have to allow my own people to go into exile and be taken over. I have to allow their country to be destroyed. I have to allow, I have to allow families to be disrupted. I have to allow houses and homes to be destroyed. All because I know they need to go into exile. Incredible anguish God must have felt to do that. And then I've always kind of had this thought that, you know, taking people into exile would be a punishment. Right? You'd think about that, a punishment for these people. And I'm going to show them and I'm going to take them into Babylonia and they're going to be all this. And then this one, one thing God does with Jeremiah a few times if you ever read the book of Jeremiah, it's kind of a wild book, but he gives him visions oftentimes. And he often causes him to do a kind of wild things to act out what is going on and what God wants to communicate to his people. And so one time it says that he, uh, the, God, the Lord says to him, what, look in front of you, what do you see? And, and, and Jeremiah goes, well, I see two baskets of figs. And the Lord says, yes, those are, are two baskets of figs. There's, one of them are, are good figs and, and one of them are bad and rotten figs. And then, and then in Jeremiah 24, the Lord explains it. It says, uh, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what I, the Lord, the God of Israel says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them and their good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God and they will return to me with all their heart. And then he says, these bad figs are like the ones who stay in Judah and Jerusalem. And I want nothing to do with them, the Lord said. And that's wild, isn't it? That the ones he's carrying into exile are the good figs, the good people that he wants to be at work in he says, they will be ones who will, I will grab their whole heart. They will come back to me with their whole heart, that, that they are the ones who I will continue to work at. And so what this is that we see in this exile of what God's doing, it's a time of pruning and refinement. It, it's a time of separating away from those who God knows may not respond to him and takes the people that he believes will, and then he's going to refine these people. He's going to help shape their hearts and change them so that they'll come after him with everything they have. So that's kind of the setting of what's happened with this exile, that the Lord has caused this to happen. The Lord has taken the people into exile, and they've been taken away for a reason, for a purpose, that God wants to prune and refine them there. All right, so now we'll go back to the letter in, in Jeremiah 29 that, that he's written. So the first thing was that, you know, I carried you into exile. This was my purpose. This, I had a reason for doing this. And now we have to wonder, okay, now, how, do, how are you supposed to live in exile? How are, how are we supposed to live in exile? And he gives us a few different things to do. The first one is this. He says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens. That's what you're supposed to do. Because here's the thing, everybody, he says, it's not going to be like a short exile like all the false prophets have been telling you in Jerusalem and here in Babylon. A lot of the prophets have been saying, hey, don't even unpack your bags. It's going to be two years at the most. 
two years at the most, and then you're all coming back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is like, nope. The Lord's told me it's going to be 70 years. It's going to be 70 years, not two years, 70 years. So Jeremiah says, build some houses, plant some gardens. You're going to be staying here for a while. Then the second thing is he says, um, marry one another and find wives for your sons and your daughters that you may increase. It's going to be 70 years. And here's what is really important about this is um, this cannot be the end of the Jewish race. Okay, you see what can't, cannot happen here is the people cannot be taken into exile and they cannot get dispersed so much among the people that there is no Jewish race because the Jewish race is where the Messiah is going to come from. And so the Lord says, you people in, in exile, you need to marry, you need to have more kids, your race needs to continue, it needs to increase because out of you will come one day the Messiah. You have to do this. So you have to continue. And, and then the next thing he says is that we are to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. And the word that's used there is shalom, right? It says seek the shalom of the city. And shalom's a really rich Jewish word, right? It does mean peace. It means prosperity. It means wholeness and completeness. And so he says to the people in exile, you are to seek the shalom for the city you are in. Seek the good, cause it to prosper. Rather than, hope, rather than uh, hoping for, contributing to the downfall of the city you're in, pray for, and we'll get to that in a moment here, but seek the prosperity and the shalom for that city. And it's a really interesting question for us in our day. What does it mean for us to seek the shalom of our communities? To actually think about what does it mean for peace and prosperity, completeness and, and wholeness to be a part of who we are in our communities and, and how we help to make that happen. As opposed to tearing things down, how do we help build up our communities? And then the final thing he says is that we are to pray for the city. And they are to pray for the people that have just defeated them in battle. Pray for the Babylonians. Pray for those folks. It's a really interesting set of how you are to live in exile. Settle down, be a part of it. Marry and, and, and have families. Seek the peace and prosperity of those cities. And then pray for those people. And pray for your cities. You know, in, uh, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we are to pray for our enemies. It was really interesting at, I think it was at core group maybe, we were talking about this. I, I can't remember the last time I prayed for my enemies. It's not the first one on my list. A lot of you are on my list because you're not my enemies. And, um, but I don't think about praying for my enemies. But we're, Jesus says we're supposed to. And here... Jeremiah says, pray for the city that just defeated you and took you into exile. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul uh, talks about also who we should pray for. Again, thinking about uh, leaders and government. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all in authority, that we may live peacefully, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That last line is a really great one, right? That the Lord wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But he says, pray for all your leaders. Pray for kings. Pray, pray for those in authority. So here's the thing, everybody. We should pray for President Trump, and we should pray for Nancy Pelosi. You can't, get, you can't have it one way or the other. Okay, I know we'd like to. Only pray for the people that think like me. Only the people that have my way of thinking. No, this scripture says pray for the people in authority on both sides. Pray for the people in the city that just took you over and took you into exile. Pray for the leaders. Pray for everyone. It's hard to do, right? It's hard to do this in our day and culture. But this is what I believe Jeremiah is calling us to. So we settle down, we become a part of the community, we bring shalom to our cities, and we pray for the people. And then in this letter that he has written to the exiles, now Jeremiah gives them, here is the hope that you are to hold on to. Here's the hope that you're to have as you are in exile. He says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They're the ones that are saying, hey, it's going to be two years. It's going to be really quick. You'll be back in the promised land, no problem. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That's the hope. That's the hope. It's going to be 70 years. It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be hard. But I will come back, and I will bring you back into the land. God will fulfill his promises and bring them back to the promised land. And then verse 11, which I'm about to destroy many of your verse here. I just admit it. Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found with you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and harm you and to give you hope in a future. I mean, that verse is on coffee cups, right? It's on journals, on the front of journals. Uh, a lot of you probably have like needlepoint things in your room, you know, like wall hangings, all that sort of stuff because it's such a great verse. But here's the thing, everybody. and I, We totally take it out of context Okay, hopefully you're seeing that now. This verse that is so wonderful and so powerful, and we'll get back to it in a moment here, but it is written to people that are in exile. It is written to a group of people. Yes, individuals, but typically, it really, it is written to a group of individuals in exile who have just been taken from their homeland who have maybe have been, their families have been divided. They may have had loved ones who've been killed. 
They may have had their home destroyed. They may have been taken out with nothing but with their clothes on their back. And the Lord says, look, I know the plans I have for you. And some of these people will not get back to the promised land. They just won't make it. Now, some will, but not every one of them. And what we've done with this verse is we've just individualized it. And we kind of say, well, you know what? Nothing bad can ever happen to me because God knows the plans he has for me. But the truth of the matter is that we go through difficult times. And there will be times where things don't work out how we think they should. How we think they should. It's spoken to a group of people in exile, individuals, but honestly, many of them hearing will never make it back to Babylon. Here's the other thing, that God's plans for his captives are positive, but not immediate. You can go to the next two ver slides, I think, Greg. Next one. It's positive, but not immediate. Right? It's going to be 70 years. Positively, yes, someday that he will bring his people back, but some of them that were there will not be brought back. It doesn't happen right away. The purpose of God taking them into exile, the purpose of actually giving them hope is, is to prune and refine so that the captives will call on God and seek God with their whole heart. Did you notice that in there? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's what God desires so much, more than anything. He wants our whole heart. That's why he took his people from the promised land into exile. It's why he tells them to settle down. It's going to be 70 years. And here's the hope that you can hold on to. But most, what I want most from you is I want your whole heart. Not half of it. Not most of it. But seek me with your whole heart. That's his ultimate desire. He desires that he will do anything he needs to make that happen. That's what this is all about. That's what this exile is all about. It's what Jeremiah is speaking to the people is all about, that God desires their heart. And that's what God's saying to us too. I want your heart. More than anything, I want your heart. So like I said at the beginning of the message about Jeremiah, is for, he was a prophet for 40 years, and, and hardly anybody ever listened to him. In fact, he's called the weeping prophet, if you know that. I, mean, if, I suppose if you write the book of Lamentations, you're going to get called the weeping prophet. Okay, It's just automatic. But, but he, he weeps because, because people don't respond. He, he does everything God tells him to do, and, 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 and hardly anybody responds. And then as I was studying this this week, I, I found a really amazing sort of connection between Jeremiah's words that he just wrote and Daniel, who we talked about last week, who was in exile. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 9. 
In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made their ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. So you see, see Daniel heard about Jeremiah's prophecy about what it was going to be like. He, he, may be re- he must have read it somewhere along the way. And did you notice what it did to Daniel's heart? It says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. See, that's what the Lord wants. Well, the Lord wants to grab a hold of us and wants to get to this place where we are just so, we will pray to him and seek him with everything we have. And then this prayer in Daniel 9 is just a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer of confession of his own sin and the sins of the nation around him. And it's a, it's a this, the great desire to get things right and to put things right with the Lord. And, and then... Um, down in verse 17, he, he kind of finishes the prayer and he says, Now, O, o God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because of we are righteous because of your great mercy. And then, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. And so what he has heard of Jeremiah's prophecy grabs a hold of Daniel's heart and he just goes before the Lord and says, Lord, I'm so sorry for what we've done. I'm so sorry for how I've contributed to this. But please, Lord, don't forget about your people. Please, Lord, listen and act and move and bring us back someday into your promised land. That's what God's word is supposed to do to us. It's supposed to draw our attention and our hearts back to him. It's, it's supposed to take us to a place where we realize our own sinfulness and confess. Where we repent and we, we bring our lives to a place where we say, Lord, I want you to have all my heart. I want you to have everything in my heart. So how do we connect this for today? What's this look like? I have uh, kind of four little thoughts I have for us. How do, I, how do I bring shalom into my community? How do I bring shalom into the city where I live and the people I'm around? But how do I bring this prosperity and this peace? And how do I do that? This, the other one was, who am I praying for? Am I actually praying for my enemies? Do I pray for people in government on both sides? Do I pray for the Lord to really move in our country? And where do I need hope beyond circumstances? You see, that's what that that phrase, that's what that famous line is for us. It's hope beyond circumstances. And the hope is that the Lord is at work. The Lord has desires and plans. The Lord wants my heart and the Lord can move. And, And one day, for the people of God, he will bring them back to the promised land. It's a great moment. But then maybe the final question to ask is really, how much of my heart really is the Lord's? Am I holding on to parts of it? Or are there certain parts, yeah, you don't get that part, Lord. 
as he says, he wants us to come to him with all of our heart. Every part of it. Every place where we're anxious. Every place where we're shamed. Every part of our heart is his. Like Daniel, my prayer is that you would go to him this week. You'd confess You'd seek him with everything, and you'd listen to what he'd have to say to you, and that he truly would grab your whole heart this week. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, it is uh, it's our prayer that you would take these words of yours, these words from a prophet thousands of years ago, and that they would uh, draw us to you, draw us to a place where we can see how we can best as your people make a difference in your kingdom here and now, bring prosperity and hope and peace to our cities. But most of all, Lord, we just pray that you would draw our hearts to yourself that we would have hope beyond our circumstances. But most of all, Lord, please, please grab a hold of our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.